text for the message this morning is taken from uh, the three chapters uh, that we read, focusing on uh, Joseph remembering the dreams, that's chapter 42, verse 9, and then testing his brothers, as you read in 42, verse 15. Also, how the brothers then uh, changed each time they bowed before Joseph. You can see how the Lord was working on their hearts to change them, as you can find that in verses, uh, chapter 43, uh, verses 15, 43, verse 15, and 44, uh, verses 14 and 30. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you can't eat a nut that has not been cracked open. And some nuts are tough to crack. You know how it is, maybe a Brazil nut or something, and, and you don't want to, when you have the nutcracker, the pincers in your hand, you don't want to squeeze it too hard, or you'll ruin the goodness inside. And so you slowly apply more and more pressure until you crack it just enough to pull it apart gently with your hands, and then you can have your yummy snack. And sometimes we need to be treated like nuts with hard shells. And the Lord uses a process that slowly changes us, progressively weakening our sinful resistance until he finally cracks through the sinful nature and allows us to see for ourselves who we really are. In Genesis 42 to 44... We see how God uses famine and the fury of a foreign ruler like pincers on a nutcracker to slowly break through the outer crust of selfishness, denial, impenitence, and ongoing division that made Jacob and his sons so useless for God's plan. When we look at these chapters, we ask, what do they reveal to us about God? And we see that they teach us that the God who made a covenant with Adam, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he also uses his sovereign power to keep his promise, to carry out his plan to bring salvation through their line, to prepare his people so that they would be ready to receive the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And what he did so clearly through Joseph in these chapters, he continues to do through his Spirit and through his Word today, so that we also are able to receive our Savior with thanksgiving. His goal is that all God's people might live together in unity and in fellowship, in the hope and the comfort of his son, Jesus Christ. Joseph's God is the same God we worship today. And just as he was with Jacob's sons, even when he used famine and hardships to bring them together today also, it is a great blessing to know that hardships in this life do not mean that God is absent, but rather that he is with his children for their good. I preach to you the gospel of this ongoing 
process under the theme, God uses Joseph's test to lead his church through famine to fellowship. We'll see that he reveals his hand in the hardships, he brings his church to confession, and he proves the reality of repentance. God gave seven years' notice to Pharaoh and to Joseph about the famine that was coming. And then he used that famine to raise Joseph up as governor of the land of Egypt. Although the famine helped Joseph, this international famine, it's even difficult for us to imagine, but a a famine that covered so many countries, it was a severe hardship that brought Jacob's family to the point of death several times. I think we need to remember that as we read these chapters, these men were desperate for their very lives. God used a terrible trial to soften the hard hearts of Joseph's brothers, to prepare Jacob's family to be the ancestors of Jesus Christ. In Genesis 42 verse 5, highlights the hand of God behind all these things when it says, Thus, thus the sons of Israel came to buy grain in Egypt. That is to say, if there had been no famine and no pressing need, the sons of Israel would not have changed anything. They would never have been confronted with the sins of their youth. God's hand can be seen then in the pressure that was applied to the lie that the brothers were using to hide their guilt. Sometimes God breaks down our defenses and and exposes our weaknesses through hardships so that we are prepared to hear him speak. And so to receive his grace, to receive our salvation with joy. We also see God's hand in the hardships when we read about the connection between these events and the dreams that the Lord had sent to Joseph when he was just a teenage boy. You can read about that in Genesis 37. We read that when it happened one day, this is verse 9, that uh, 10 of Joseph's brothers came and bowed before him. It's actually verse 6, with their faces to the ground. You can do that maybe at home, children, when you get home to understand what they were doing. Their faces were on the ground, and they were bowing before this ruler who happened to be their brother. And the ruler was Joseph, and he saw that. And we read in verse 9, he remembered the dreams. He remembered God's revelation to him when he was a teenager. Although he had expected that he would need to stay alone in Egypt and forget his family, you can see that when he named his kids, his children in chapter 41, verses 51 and 52, God's hand was there to set Joseph back on track. It was no coincidence that Joseph himself, the second highest in the land, is the one who deals with foreign buyers. The presence of the brothers and the reminder of the dreams made it clear that God's hand was there with him in his hardships and that he had an important role to play to bring unity 
to his church like the dreams had revealed. And then Joseph showed that he recognized this responsibility when he began to speak roughly to them. He began right away to test them. He wanted to know what was in their hearts. And so he tested them, says chapter 42, verse 15, rather than just embracing them for who they were. Joseph knew that he had been called to work toward the picture of fellowship, unity, that had been revealed in the dream so many years before. The Spirit was using him in, in, the, in the hope that, that they would be united in love and harmony, honestly dealing with the sins of their past. However, the first time they bowed before him, like we read in chapter 42, they were still a very far cry from the unity of that whole family that was promised in God's revelation to Joseph in the dream. Not only was Benjamin missing, but Joseph also didn't know why Benjamin was missing, even though he questioned them carefully about the brothers and their kindred. By God's grace, Joseph could see how important it was for the church that the famine be used to bring Jacob and his brothers to unity, to fellowship. The Apostle Paul explains that since there is one God, one faith, and one salvation, the church was to grow up as a unified body built on the unified testimony of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2 verse 20 and Ephesians 4. It's the very character of Christ's church, the place where he would be born. It's the character of the church to be united. For the Lord knows those who are his. He will not, says our Lord Jesus in John 10, verse 28, he will not allow one of these little ones to be lost. This not only applies to the physical presence, but also to their commitment to this unity. Well, when Joseph looked out, he saw one of his little ones missing. Benjamin was not there. He saw a divided church bowing before him. And worst of all, they had blood on their hands. The problem was that they seemed agreed on ignoring their past, maintaining their lie to their father Jacob, and so Joseph could see missing out on their salvation. Now many believe that Joseph's decision to accuse, to imprison, and to make his brothers face up to their father uh, with the truth that he was doing that as revenge against his brothers. But we can see from our text that in truth, God was using Joseph to strengthen his church as, as the Spirit strengthens the church today. God was using Joseph to prepare his church for the coming of the Son of God. And Joseph brought his brothers and his fathers through the refining fires of several trials and, and provocations so that first of all, they might recognize the sins of of their past. He brings his church to confession. You see, in order for growth, we first need to 
know who we are. We need to confess our sins. We need to recognize our need for a Savior. In Genesis 42 to 44, recount not only the hardship of the famine they endured, but also each accusation and, and, and every condition that Joseph spoke roughly in order to test his brothers. We read about all that was done to them so that they could see who they were, so they could speak and acknowledge the truth. After they were put in prison for three days, and then Simeon was bound before their eyes and then held for ransom, Joseph still put money in their sacks, chapter 42, verse 25. And he gave a special meal just to Benjamin, five times the portion we read in chapter 43, verses 16 to 34. And then he put money in their sacks again, chapter 44, verse 1. And then he even put a silver cup in Benjamin's sack to frame him in chapter 44, verse 2. And so we see the, the pincers of the nutcracker were pressing in to force the brothers to, to see, to acknowledge who they really were. At one point, it's chapter 42, verse 28, they, they even cry out, what has God done to us? And it's not long until the past guilt that they had been trying to hide, it starts to bubble up again to the surface. And, and we read that when they, they said to one another, it's chapter 42, verse 21, in truth we are guilty concerning our brother. The words honesty, the word brother, the word father, the questions. It was pounding in their minds repeatedly through the hardship of this, of this trial as they see Simeon being bound up before their eyes, it was a poignant reminder of what they had done to Joseph so many years before. And then they heard Reuben offering his two sons as a pledge, and they come to realize that the life of each brother is tied up to the lives of the others in the bond of the covenant. In the church, we are responsible for one another. We cannot leave Joseph dead without a reckoning, says Reuben. The Lord used the hardships to bring Joseph back into the picture to force the brothers to acknowledge the truth and to shape the very character of his church. It wouldn't have been hard for the brothers. It would have been hard for the brothers not to see all this special attention as persecution from the enemy. Since we often experience a similar process in our lives, you know how it goes, don't you? When things go from bad to worse. Since we experience a very similar process many times, we give thanks that God shows us that sometimes it is He that is working this way with us. You see, it's not usually a good idea to break a nut open with a sledgehammer. Maybe you've tried that before, one of those Brazil nuts, and the nutcracker won't do it, and you put it on the table, and you take a sledgehammer, bang! And it smashes the nut, it smashes the shell, there's nothing left to eat. Well, we're thankful that God doesn't just slam the truth down upon us to break us. 
You see, to hear that we can't do something, or to hear that we must believe something, well, that's one thing. To experience the same thing, the pain of sinning against the Lord, or, or the need we have for Jesus Christ to experience that through repeated trials, that's something completely different, isn't it? You see, if you just tell one time, maybe you've done that, if you just tell a, a wealthy, married, hard-working, traveling, happy man that he needs the communion of saints, he needs unity with his brothers, well, many times it happens, he would just laugh at you, even though he might still come to church. If God took it all away in one shot, well, it could lead him to the rebellion that we see in Job's wife and Job's friends. But when God slowly takes away a person's work, and then their travels, and then their husband or their wife, or their, and then their driver's license, and then their freedom, and then their health, and then their home, and then their dignity, losing these things one by one makes a person think, makes a person learn a lot about who he truly is and what she truly needs. You see, brothers and sisters, 42, Genesis 42, verse 44, 42 to 44, it's, it's like an assembly line of suffering that God is using to open the eyes of his church to understand how they need one another in ever-deepening lessons to prepare his church for the truth. And so we see how the Lord Jesus worked also he did the same thing with the Samaritan woman in John 4. We see how the Holy Spirit works today through his word, through the exhortations of his, his word, through the trials of this life. The Lord used Joseph's test to bring his brothers to confession. If the famine wasn't hard enough, they had to leave their families for a big voyage and then they got into trouble with the governor in charge of the food and things got worse and they said, how can it get any worse? And it got worse and it got worse and the question was, would this fiery trial burn them up and make them hopeless or would it prove to test the genuineness of their faith? Like Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verses 6 to 7. That's the question we often face too, isn't it, brothers and sisters? We read that the brothers quickly make the connection between Joseph's demands and their sin against Joseph when he was younger. While they were still in Joseph's presence for the first time, the brothers recognized the sin of not listening to Joseph's pleas, that the pleas were still in their mind. They had turned away from a brother who needed them. And they understood the consequences they deserved. God made the church remember her sins against her brother and made the brothers think about their responsibilities to one another as tribes of God's people. The Holy Spirit shows us the progression and the change in the brothers. And you may have noticed that each time, every passage, every part of these chapters that we read together, it was the brothers together once again bowing before Joseph. But each time they bowed, they were a little different than they had been the time before. God was shaping them. And it's important in our lives to see how God through his spirit and his word, is continually shaping us to seek him 
and to seek one another in love. And he tests and he proves the reality of repentance. When we get to the end of chapter 44, we can see that there has been real change. And we can see that the brothers who are gathered together to bow before Joseph again with their faces to the ground, they were a lot different than they had been when they came the very first time. And when we look at the changes in their lives, we get a picture of how the Lord Jesus, the greatest son of Jacob, how he lived when he was here on the earth. We see what it means to be a true worshiper of God in the communion, in the fellowship of the saints. Not only in the congregation here in in Emmanuel, but together with believers all over the world. What is it that hinders our unity with others? What is it that needs to be cracked off like the brown husk of a Brazil nut? What characteristics promote unity in, the, in Christ, where Christ Jesus reigns as King and Savior. When we look again at these chapters, we see the hardships cracked Jacob's selfish desire to keep Benjamin for himself at all costs. Just because Benjamin was the son of his favorite wife, his personal sentimentality was causing a division in the church. Along with this, we see that Jacob was finally set free from the chains of self-pity and the blaming accusations that were prolonging the divisions between the brothers. When Benjamin was standing before him, Joseph wept. He was overcome with emotion. He could see that his father had repented. For his father had made a sacrifice that placed the unity of the church over his personal love and sentimentality for Rachel's children. You see, in order to have unity, we cannot all have exactly what we want. We have to be willing to make sacrifices for other people. The whole Christian faith is based on the fact that the sovereign Father in heaven was willing to give up his own son for the well-being of his people. Jacob learned that rather than hindering the survival of his other sons and descendants, he should recognize what gifts he could contribute. And so we read in chapter 43, verses 12 to 13, instead of putting up this resistance, instead of clinging to Benjamin, instead of letting the whole tribe, the whole clan suffer, he says, why don't I help you? And he told them what they should do to win the favor of this harsh Egyptian ruler. Tells him to bring a gift. He used his, his, his wisdom to help to serve the church. And so he pointed forward to the Lord Jesus Christ who brought us into his church as members of his body and then endowed us with gifts that we can use to serve one another. When we imitate Christ's compassion, Christ's compassion that extended to the people beyond that normal circle, that closed circle of family and friends that we tend to cling to. When we seek to use our gifts to serve the well-being of all God's children, including the people who aren't in our family and who we may not normally hang out with. When we do that, then we promote the unity of the church. Then we look at Judah. Judah. 
Judah was the father of the family line through whom God would bring the Savior. He was the one who pointed to Christ. He was the type of Christ in the situation. But the last that we read of him, he had been living with the Canaanites. And he had separated himself from his father's household, which was the church that was in Genesis 38. The hardships that God sent to Judah and his family drove him to finally stand up for the truth, to bind himself to the well-being of the church, even when it was showing weakness. And brothers and sisters, we should never give up on those who have left the church to go into the world like Judah had done. By the grace of God, Judah finally came to recognize that the brothers have to be together, including Benjamin. And so that he doesn't only tell his father that his life would be bound up to the life of Benjamin, but he even offers his own life in Benjamin's stead at the end of chapter 44. Judah's stance, his standing up for the truth, it was infectious, and all the brothers came to see through him that all their lives were, were knit together. And so when Joseph's silver cup was discovered in Benjamin's sack, we read that all the brothers committed to being slaves, even though the cup was only found in the bag of one of them, and they all had the opportunity to leave on their own. And so we see that the hardships of famine and persecution had cra cracked through that outer shell of selfishness and unwillingness of people to live and to work together. Judah's willingness to have, to tie his life to the life of his brother. We can see again how that pointed forward to his descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ who came as a substitute sacrifice for everyone who believes in him. That is, a, the center of the gospel that we believe and that we proclaim. That is what the church is about. That is what it's like to be the Christian church, giving your life for the lives of your brothers. And by the grace of God, when the Spirit works in our hearts, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we see the same thing, don't we? It's what the Spirit does to us. And then it happens that when our brother or our sister suffers, we all suffer with him. When he or she is rejoicing, while well, we all rejoice with him, our lives are tied in to the lives of others. We trust them so much that we can tell our neighbors that we would be willing to die not only for our own convictions, but also for the convictions. And you can ask anybody in my church what they stand for, I also will die for because we are together. We are united in the faith. We truly take responsibility for the well-being of one another. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18, is functioning well when we are willing to exhort and to encourage one another, when we, are, we love each other even to the point of death and giving our lives. That's the, the unity that the Spirit fosters in our hearts. And when we live like that, we promote the unity of the church that God revealed to Joseph in his dreams. There's one other brother, the oldest brother, Reuben, he rashly promised to kill his own sons if he failed in his mission. And then when the brothers recognized their guilt, he, he directly blamed them. He said, I told you so. 
This is all because of what you've done. And so Reuben showed himself to be very bitter. And that bitterness and that resentment, it caused him to be divisive, to break the unity of the brothers. However, as the Lord brought Reuben and his brothers before Joseph in the second visit, they had the opportunity to have a meal together. Joseph allowed them to sit in in order of age and rank. And we read in chapter 43, verse 33, the firstborn according to his birthright, that's Reuben, and the youngest according to his youth. And so he was treated with the utmost respect and they were given water to wash their feet and fodder for their donkeys. And Reuben was there associating with his brothers and with Joseph in distinction from the Egyptians and they had a lot of food And we read a very interesting verse in the middle of all this, chapter 43, verse 34. And they drank and were merry with him. It was a sign. It was a sign that their confession was genuine. Their repentance was real. It was a great blessing for the unity of the church. They were merry together. Bitterness, envy, Resentment, those things can really hurt and can really divide a church. But when we imitate Jesus' joy in his Father's love, we promote unity. May our weeping come from the compassion that grows warm within us for one another like Joseph had for his brother Benjamin. And may our weeping not come from the hurtful Comments, reminders of sins that were committed in the past. From the beginning of this section of Scripture in Genesis 42 to the end of Genesis 44, it is clear that God alone brings unity to his church so they would be ready to hear what Joseph had to tell them in chapter 45. The Lord wants his church as a unity to know about his son, Jesus Christ. God used hardships of famine like a nutcracker to get at the heart of his rebellious children so it would be exposed to receive the gospel. He brought them to see their sins, to take responsibility, to get rid of their selfishness and to strive for unity and sincere love and fellowship with one another. The Spirit continues to work this desire in our heart through his word. For the Lord continues to want to see this humility, this trust, this confession, this repentance, and yes, this joy as we live together in unity. May God work so powerfully in our hearts that we, as his people, become united in love, ever more united in love and fellowship. Amen.